0: Mr. Moderators, fellow panelists, ladies and gentlemen, I first want to thank the Harvard Law School Forum for the invitation to speak here this evening, and especially on on a very timely topic, the African Revolution and its impact upon the American Negro. We probably won't move the word American Negro, we will substitute it with the word Afro-American. And when I say Afro-American, I mean it in the same context that you usually use the word Negro in. But our people today increasingly are shying away from that word the find that when you're identified as one, it, it, it tends to make you catch a whole lot of hell that people who aren't identified as that don't catch. Along with the present debate that's going on in the Congo right now, if you've been following it, probably are aware that there's a new tone and a new tempo, almost a new tempo being reflected among African states toward the United States. And I think we should be interested and concerned with what impact this will have upon the Afro-Americans and how will it affect America's internal race relations. We know that it will affect America's race relations with the world at the international level, it's already having that effect. But what we are primarily concerned with here in this country is what effect will it have on the internal uh, race relations that they say have been developing uh, in this country between the Afro-American and the white American. Tonight, during the few moments that we have, I myself would rather just engage in very informal chat-type talk with you. And the reason that I would rather be informal, I've learned, people are more relaxed and open-minded uh, under those circumstances. And my experience has been that many white Americans usually reflect a great deal of intelligence you get them in a discussion on things racial. As soon as you get them on the race issue, all of their intelligence seems to go right down the green. They become more involved emotionally and they seek to be able to be objective. And also they seek to appear to be intelligent. So, we know that it's a very touchy situation, and I don't, I can understand why it would be, because there's a lot of guilt involved. Uh, we, we hope to create some kind of atmosphere to keep as much open-mindedness as possible. To me, it's actually encouraging to see as many out here as there as are here showing a personal interest in the problem. Myself, I believe, the best advice that can be given to any body today, especially students, is to try and always go places and see things for yourself and hear people for yourself so that you can think for yourself and judge for yourself If you sit around and let others tell you how to think based upon what they've seen and what they've heard, find that you will always be misjudging many situations and many people. And the time that we're living in nowadays, it's very important to make a sound judgment. And the best judgment you can make. It's for yourself, because what you make and what you've seen and what you've heard with your own eyes and with your own ears. And you let yourself be influenced by images that have been created by others, you find that oftentimes often, the one who creates those images can use that image to mislead you, confuse you and misuse you by misleading you. A good example, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I was on a plane between Algiers and uh, Geneva, and there were a couple of Americans, white one male and one female sitting to my right, we were all in the same row, and we had a nice conversation going for about 35 or 40 minutes, and finally this lady, she looked at my briefcase and she said, I would like to ask you a personal question while I knew it was coming. Uh, She said, uh, what kind of last name should you have that begins with X? So I told her, "Well, that's it." Hey. And she said, "Well, what's your first name?" So I said, no. So about. And she came to me and said, uh, "Mel." You see, we had had a nice conversation going, Uh, just three human beings, and as soon as, uh and, but she couldn't believe that I was. The one that she had heard about because she was looking for the image that had been created by the press and she said so she said oh, i just wouldn't have believed that you were that man so uh, i had another similar experience last week uh, in oxford at the oxford union we had a debate and before the debate several students who had dinner together and there was one girl student that looked kind of cross-eyed goggle-eyed and otherwise and finally she just told me that she wanted to ask me a question. She said that, I found out she was conservative too, by the way, whatever that is. And she said that I just can't get over you not being like I had expected. So I told her that it's another case of the press again, which is very skillful at creating images. And then I had a similar case last night, which uh, experience last night in New York at the United Nations. A friend of mine from Africa came in with a white woman who was involved in some kind of... Philanthropic Foundation over there, you know, there's a lot of them. And uh, she and I was in, in a conversation for several minutes, and she was standing there, I conversed with her. She was in and out of it. And finally, I heard her whisper to someone uh, off to the side, she didn't think I was looking. She said, uh, she actually said, that, uh, he doesn't look for a while, you know. Now, this was a full-grown, so-called mature woman, but it shows the extent to which the press can create images and have people looking for one thing and actually miss the boat because they're looking for the wrong thing. They were looking for horns. And by horns I mean they were looking for a man who, whom they expect to hear, say, uh, we should kill all the white people. Is if you could kill all the white people? <laughs> Someone who's a, a rebel rouser irrational, anti-social, Extremists. In fact, if I had believed what they said about the people in Britain, I never would have gone to Oxford. I would have let it slide. And when I got there, I didn't go by what I had read about them. I, when I got there, I found out that they were quite new, likable, some of them. They, uh, they weren't what I had expected. And I only take time to mention that tonight because, in my opinion, one of the sciences that is being used today and misused today is the science of image-making. They, the power structure use. They use it at the local level, they use it at the national level, and they use it at the international level. And oftentimes when you and I think that we've come to a conclusion on our own, the conclusion we've come to is something that someone else has invented for us, by the images that they've created. So I can speak briefly, concerning my own saying, I'm a Muslim. Now if something is wrong with that, we'll, we can get rid of it. I'm a Muslim, which only means that I believe in the religion of Islam. I believe in Allah. Uh, same God probably that many of you would believe in if you knew more about it. I believe in all of the prophets from Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, and I think most of you yourself. If you're a Jewish, you believe in Moses, you might not take Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you believe in Moses and Jesus. But well, I'm a Muslim. I believe in Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. I believe in all of them. So I think that I'm way up on you. In
1: religion. And
0: in the religion that I believe in, we practice prayer, charity, fasting, the things should be practiced in all religions. And so far as the Muslim religion is concerned, another part of it that one must practice one 110 is the pilgrimage to the uh, holy city of Mecca, which I was fortunate to make in, in uh, April, the Hajj in, in, May, in April, and I went back again in September. So, and so far as being a Muslim is concerned, as far as I know, I'm a Muslim. I've done what one is supposed to do to be a Muslim whether he's in uh, Pakistan, Indonesia, Arabia, or, or some other part of the Muslim world. But usually when the press, uh, when you leave it up to the press, they leave out that part because they don't want the public to in any way identify anyone who views they can't control as being something connected with religion. Despite being a Muslim, I can't overlook the fact that I'm a, an afro american in a country that has a racist society and that practices racism against black people in this country. So there is no religion under the sun that would make me forget the suffering that our people undergo in this country for no reason other than that our sins happen to be black. So whether I'm a Muslim, or Christian, or Buddhist, or Hindu, an atheist, or an agnostic, I would still be on the front line with our people fighting against the racism and in this country at all levels, in north and south and in the east and in the west. I believe in the brotherhood of all men, but I don't believe in wasting brotherhood on anybody who doesn't want to practice brotherhood with me. I don't think a man that brotherhood should be practiced with a man just because his skin is white. I think that a man brotherhood should be practiced with a man based upon the deeds and the attitude of that man. So as where brotherhood goes, I'm for brotherhood with everybody who wants to practice brotherhood. But I couldn't practice brotherhood with Eastern and some of those crackers in the South who who are responsible for the condition of our people, as well as many of these in the North, who are also responsible for the condition of our people. So where brotherhood goes, I'm for brotherhood. But in my opinion, brotherhood is a two-way street. Those who want to practice it, I want to practice it with them. But those who think I should practice it, and they should watch me practice it, I don't go along with that. (laughs) As a Muslim, I'm against every form of racism, not only as a Muslim, but as a human being. I'm against every form of racism and segregation. And we'll unite with anybody who is genuinely uh, involved in a struggle against racism and discrimination. But I don't go for these mediocre efforts, these pronouncements, and then mediocre efforts against racism and discrimination. We don't want to get involved uh, in that. I think that racism is a crime, that it's criminal and that our people in this country are the chief victims of that crime. And as far as I'm concerned, when a racist comes to practice racism against me, I intend to fight it, not non I think that I am justified, and any black man is justified, in fighting in any means necessary, by any means necessary, against anyone who comes to inflict him with any kind of brutal harm whatsoever. And I think that that kind of thinking is increasing among our people in this country whether people want to hear it or not. You can give out all the peace prizes on earth. That's not going to make the people who aren't at peace be at peace. <laughs> in fact, I might even say, offhandedly, that if I was in a battle following the general, and they started giving him peace prizes, Before the battle was won and before the war was over, he'd have a lot of trouble out of me. I couldn't accept a a, a prize for peace as a leader of people, while my people have no peace. Peace is a two-way street. It's not something that's supposed to be dictated by just one people or just one person or just one side. The press in this country is used and has been used very skillfully, uh, to create images. And in creating these images, it, it actually misleads people, confuses people, to the point where the, where we here in America live in a racist society, where the victims of racism, where the victims of segregation, where the victims of the, uh, of these injustices, but when we cry out against these injustices in an uncompromising language, we are the ones who are called racist, and we are the ones who are called extremists, and we are the ones who are called so, for no reason other than the fact that we take a, an uncompromising stand against racism, they call us racist. Or because we take an uncompromising stand against segregationists, they call us segregationists. This is the press that does this, so that when we start crying out against the crime, Instead of people looking at us as victims of the crime who are reacting to the crime, they see us in the image that the press has created, as racists who have no uh, justification whatsoever for reflecting the type of attitude that we do. And this press is used very skillfully at the local level by the police, it's used at the national level by the FBI, it's used at the international level by the CIA, for doing nothing other than creating images, that will justify at the local level whatever the police want to do to their victims, or at the national level whatever the FBI wants to do to its victims, or at the international level whatever the CIA wants to do to its victims. They create the victims in the image of an extremist. And once the victim is projected in the image of an extremist, then everything the victim does, even to defend itself from other people's extremism, is an act of extremism. They create the victim in the image of someone who's violent. And then when the victim is doing something, is struggling vigorously to protect itself from the violence of others, the victim is made to appear in the image of a criminal itself, and the criminal is projected in the image of someone who's the victim. The press does this, and the people in this century especially are victimized by it more so than any place, any people, any place on this earth. They create images for the power structure. And in in a nutshell, they make the criminal look like the victim, and the victim look like the criminal. The recent situation in the Congo is one of the best examples of it. The headlines that were used and the manner in which they were used are a good example of how the press is used by the power structure to mislead the public, just by creating images in the wrong way. In the Congo, they had planes bombing Congolese villages. Now, the Congolese have no air force, they have no defense against an force. Yet American people have written papers where American, how do they say that, American train, anti-Castro Cuban pilots are bombing the rebel stronghold. Meaning that these pilots are dropping bombs on African villages, in which are women, children, and babies. But because they very shrewdly put that tag, American train, this gives it legality anti casco children. That gives it legality, see, Because they're against cancer, whatever they do is all right. Because they're American trained, whatever they do is all right. Despite the fact that what they're doing is dropping bombs on villages that know nothing about a defence against bombing bomb bombing and blowing black women and black children and black babies as well as black men to death. But they get away with it because they've been given a holier than thou image with the American labor. Or the anti canceral label. This is the press that does this. And it's criminal. But the criminal here is made to look like the victim. And you will let them get away with it because the victim has been made to look like the criminal. With shrewd press maneuvering. But one cannot deny that the planes are American. And the bombs are American and they're being escorted by American paratroopers and flown by Cubans who have been trained by Americans to drop bombs. This is mass murder. Murder of women, children, and babies. But it's okay, because the victim has been given the image of the criminal, and the criminal who's responsible has been given the image of the victim. And they disguise mass murder as a humanitarian project. And they fool nobody, but the people here in America. They don't fool the world. The world is already able now to see beyond that. To take it a step farther, they have a man over there called Shondi. A murderer, actually. The world knows that he's the murderer of the rightful prime minister of the Congo. No matter how, what kind of land you put it in, he's a murderer, pure and simple. The real prime minister of the Congo was murdered. His name was Patrice Lumumba. He was murdered by this man. So the American government, you and my government, takes this murderer and hires him. They crop him up. What's that? They hire him to run the Congo. He's a killer. He becomes their hired killer. They put him in office and prop him up with American dollars. And to show what a hired killer he is, his first act is to go to South Africa and hire more killers. And take him with American dollars. And it's glorified because he's given the image by the press as being the only one that can bring stability to the Congo. He's a murderer. Whether he can bring stability or not, he's still a murderer. But he's he's forced upon the American public with the American press. And the American people are dumb enough to buy. It. I don't mean you, I know you all here at Harvard are one building for me. And all of this is condoned only because, again, the press projects this operation as a humanitarian project. When they wanted to bring in the troops a couple weeks ago, the press, again, was it They built up hysteria in the mind of the public in order to get the sympathy of the public so that they would support the criminal action that they were about to become involved in. The headlines spoke about white hostages. They didn't say hostages. They said white hostages. They didn't say missionaries. They said white missionaries. They didn't say nuns in Greece. They said white nuns in Greece. Why? They had to get the sympathy of the white public in America. They had to pick up your mind, get your sympathy and your support for the criminal action that they were getting ready to become involved in in that convoy. And they kicked. As I say, not you, but the general American public came out with no outcry. But when you read the press, I think you have to agree. It would be easy for one to get the impression that Americans can put her white lives to be more valuable than black lives. Americans can put her 40 white lives more valuable than 4,000 black lives. This is the impression one would get from the press. Because it wasn't if it was a humanitarian project, it would only have it would have been sufficient to say that human beings were being held high, that human life is at stake. But there were thousands of Congolese already losing their lives. Mercenaries were shooting them down like cattle, and these mercenaries were paid with American dollars or by American dollars. So I say that the American press has been used to mislead the people, the American people. They've made the murderers look like saints. They've made the victims look like criminals. They've made criminals look like the victims. In fact, they've made the devil look like an angel. And the angels look like devils. And I don't think anybody would deny that. When you send chickens out of your barnyards in the morning, at nightfall those chickens are going to come back home to roost in your barnyard. Chickens that you send out always come back. That's a law of nature. I was a little farm boy myself. I got in trouble saying this one, but it didn't stop me from being a farm boy. When you send your chickens away, your chickens always come back home. Other people's chickens don't come to root on your doorstep, and yours don't go to root on theirs. So the chickens that this country is responsible today for sending out, whether the country likes it or not, if you're in any way mature and you look at it like it is, some days, some days they have to come back to the roots. America, because of her recent policy in Congo, is being trapped. Trapped. A French man from Africa who is in a good position to know said that he believes that the United States government is being advised by her worst enemy in the Congo. Because never has someone come up. With such insane action as this government has Especially identifying itself with a man like Shombi, who is the worst African on earth. You can't find an African on earth that's more hated than shown And it's a justified <clears> hate <throat> that they have for him. He wins no victory. His soldiers have ne- never won a victory. His Congolese troops have never won a victory for Shombi. Every victory that Shombi has uh, Rashad has been, been victories that have been won for him by white mercenaries men who are hired to kill for him. But the Africans in the Congo who win, don't win for the, for the Leopoldville government. They win for the Stanleyville government. Every victory that has been brought about by sheer Congolese soldiers has been brought about for the Stanleyville government because they're fighting for themselves. But the victory for be are only by outsiders, which only means. That's the only way you can keep them is to keep popping them up. And you've got to send more white soldiers and more white soldiers and more white soldiers. And the Congo is too big for that many white people to get uh, bogged down in. And it's hot, and it's an uncomfortable place for you. <laughs> and if the government doesn't realize this soon, I think you'll find that the uh, American troops will be bogged down in a worse situation in the Congo, than they are presently bogged down uh, in South Vietnam, over there in Asia. And as an American, least that's what they told me I was, I'm concerned. I wouldn't like to see our good country get bogged down in the Congo. Shondi himself will never be acceptable to the Congolese people. He'll never be acceptable to the African people. And any African government that supports Shondi will be overturned by the people of that country. There is no African leader in anything that would have the audacity to stand up and support a man like Shambi and not be writing his own duty on the wall. Because the African people are the ones who won't accept a man like Shambi, and the only way you can get an African government to endorse Shambi is to give that African government some American dollars. Because Shambi is a curse. He's an insult. To anybody who means right, whether you're black or white, and when Shambi went to Cairo, it caused trouble. When he went to Rome last week, it caused trouble. He went to Germany, it caused trouble. Wherever Shambi goes, it's trouble he And if Shambi comes to America, you'll see the worst type of rioting and bloodshed and violence that this country has ever seen. Nobody wants that kind of man in their country. And you can't find any Afro-American who would go along with any kind of governmental policy as is being practiced in the Congo right now. It is an insult for black people in in this country to vote for a man like Johnson, 97%! And his first act was to send mercenaries and paratroopers into the Belgian Congo where they said they kidnapped us from 400 years ago. So I say, what effect does this have on the Afro-Americans, and what effect will it have on the relationship, the race race relationship between Afro-Americans and white Americans in this country? When you pick up the paper and see the debate that's going on in the U.N. right now, the Africans in the most uncompromising language have been heaping hot fire upon America as a racist and a neo-imperialist, neo-colonialist par par excellence, and they have never used this language in condemning the United States before. They've never named the United States, but they are beginning to tie, for the first time, they, um, the, the criminal acts that are being practiced by racism in the Congo with the actions in Mississippi and Alabama and other places, and they're pointing out that the white people in America, at least the government, because I, I say this, I don't mean all white people, but most of them, the, the government itself has shown just as much disregard for lives wrapped in black skin in Congo as it shows for lives wrapped in black skin in Mississippi, Alabama, and other places in this country. So when when the Africans begin to identify their problem with our problem, and we begin to identify our problem with their problem, what, will, what uh, effect will this have upon what is called improving race relations between white and black in this country? Many people will tell you that the black man in this country doesn't identify with Africa, and I hear many white people who try and make themselves believe that. Before 1959, many of us could But before 1959, the image of Africa was created by an enemy of Africa. Africans weren't in a position to create and project their own uh, image. The image was created by the colonial powers in Europe. In other words, it was the Europeans that created the image of Africa and projected the image of Africa and the Africans throughout the world. And the image that the Europeans created of Africa was negative. It was created and projected as a jungle, a wild place, where the people were cannibals and naked and savage, and that the countryside was overrun with dangerous animals. The image of Africa in the African was made hateful. It was made so hateful that 22 million Afro-Americans in this country wouldn't identify with it. Only because the only image we had of it was something that no one would want to be identified with. And that image was created by an enemy. We didn't realize at that time that in being made to hate Africa and in being made to hate the Africans, we were being made to hate ourselves. You can't hate your roots or the roots of the tree and not hate the tree. You can't hate being your origin and not end up hating yourself. And we certainly can't hate Africa and at the same time learn how to love ourselves. And these people knew this. So they created an image of our past that we refused to be identified with. We hated the African features that we ourselves had. Our nose was hated. The shape of our nose we hated. The shape of our lips we hated. The color of our skin we hated. The texture of our hair we hated. And in hating it we ended up hating ourselves. Our skin became a trap. A frozen. We felt inferior, inadequate, and helpless. And all of this resulted from the image that had been created for us, of Africa. And it was an image that wasn't created by Africans, nor us. But it was an image that was created by the enemy of Africa, and someone who was an enemy to us. Since 1959, that has been changed. Because since 1959, the African states have begun to emerge, and get independent. And as soon as they have gotten independent, to put them in a position to project a positive image. And as the image of Africa uh, began to change from negative to positive, the image of the black man in America begin to change from negative to positive. The actual and behavior of the black man in America begin to change from negative to positive. Whereas we used to be prudent You find, there there is less strength reflected in the behavior pattern of the black man in America. Why? Because he looks at something now that he can identify with. Many of them don't even realize that they identify with that. Subconsciously there's that connection. As this, as our, our people in this country see after getting the independence and bringing up and taking a fighting stand, you'll find that increasingly our people in this country are crying out for independence and show the desire to stand up and make a fighting stand. We can't disconnect the attitude of the Afro-American from the attitude of the African. And we cannot disconnect the poor the voice, the very least that is reflected today in the African from that that is reflected today here among the Afro-Americans. And the only way you could really understand the black man in America and what's happening in the heart and mind of the black man in America is to fully understand what's happening in the heart and mind of the black man on the African continent. Because it's the same heart and it's the same mind. Though we've been separated by 400 years, we still have the same heart and the same mind. And though we're separated by the Atlantic Ocean, we still have the same heart and the same mind. Although there are those who wouldn't like for us to have the same heart and the same mind. But for fear that that heart and that mind might get together. If our people in this country got a of Africa, they automatically had to get a mind of themselves. Fear less completely and there was a fear this, among the racist element in the State Department that, to the same degree that our people here uh, identif- begin to see those positive image coming out of Africa, we would begin to identify with it, and not only so much there was fear against our identifying with it, but our sympathy for Africa and its hopes and aspirations would develop. And the real fear was that this identity, this sympathy, would develop to a, into a form of a wherein we would have a stronger allegiance for African hopes and aspirations than we would have for America's hopes and aspirations. And you are a student. You'd be out of your mind if you couldn't see for yourself a woman of African heritage and African blood who have been rejected by the American society. But that's a natural threat to humans in another direction. Life is rejected and the rejected by American society. It's for all those pretty words and pretty bills and pretty this and pretty that. We live in a society that has rejected us completely for no reason other than we happen to be of African ancestry. So it's only natural to expect us us today to turn and look in the direction of our homeland and of our motherland and see if we make any contact over there. When we go back to 1939, I grew up in Michigan. which is the north. And in the city where I lived, played for a lamp, and it was typical of most cities in this country in those days. A black man who had a good job was shining shoes, or he was waiting tables. He usually uh, had the best job, that he would, could wait table at the country club, as is the truth in most of the cities. And in those days, if he worked at the schoolhouse, not on an negative job or clerical job, or in some capacity such as that, but if he worked there shining shoes, he was considered a big shot in the town. This was the black man, the afro man. He was a raider He couldn't even get a job in the factory, those those days, He needed to the factory space. And he was and Hitler went on the rampage in 1939. And this country got caught in a manpower shortage, but then the black man was committed into the factory to get a, 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 a shot at a better ground. He never was permitted to out of the good will that one was saying. He was committed to set forward, only one another fan, fans headed back to the rail and needed And at the time that the rail started in 1939 and 40 and 41, a black man looked like country couldn't even join the army. And when they were drafting, they weren't drafting black soldiers. They were only drafting white. And I think it was well agreed upon and understood that there was the a kid. But if you let the black man get in there and get a hold of the gun and learn how to shoot it, you wouldn't have to tell him what the target was. It was not until the Negro leaders, and in this sense I used the word Negro purposely. It was the Negro leaders in those days who began to cry out and complain that that white boys are going to die on the battlefield, our black boys must die on the battlefield too. They weren't drafting us, they were drafting you. And if they hadn't been for that type of leadership, we never would have been drafted. They just wanted to show that We were good enough to die, too, although we weren't good enough to join the Army and join the Navy uh, prior to that time. During that period, when Whitlock and Kojo were on the ranking, the black men were needed in the plant, and for the first time in the history of America, we were given the opportunity on a large scale to get killed, some type of skills in areas that were close to us down today. When we got these skills, we were put in a position to make more money. We made more money, we could live in a better neighborhood. When we moved to a better neighborhood, we were able to go to a better school and get a better education. And we must put us in a position to know what we hadn't been getting up to that time. And then we began to cry a little louder than we had ever cried before. But it never ran out of Uncle Sam's good will. We never made one step forward until Royal Cassa had Uncle Sam on the when he was on the front, he let us take a couple of steps forward, and you have never taken any steps forward in this country. It had never been out of any internal sense of morality or legality or humanism. You have been just as cold as an answer when it comes to the ranks of the black man in this country. Excuse me for raising my voice. But I do think it's time, as long as my voice is the only thing I raise, I don't think you should get too upset. <laughs> because we were to try a little louder, they had to use a different strategy to handle it. They used a new approach. They came up with a Supreme Court desegregation decision, which was written in such a tricky language that every truck in the country could try having to uh, practice it. They came up with a, the Supreme Court Desegregation Decision 10 years ago. It has used to be less than 10% in those 10 years. This was a token advancement throughout the uh, country. We've seen um, the recipients of tokenism in education, tokenism in housing, tokenism in employment, tokenism in everything. But nowhere in the country during the past two years as the black man who treated as a human being in the same context with other human beings. Always he's been patronized in a very paternalistic uh, way, but never has he been given an opportunity to face with a human being at the same level in the same context with other human beings. And actually, in one sense, it's our own fault, and we'll get to that later on. We no, have never gotten the real thing. I'll get to it right now. The reason that we never uh, receive the real thing is we have not displayed any tendency at any time to do the same thing for ourselves as as human beings to protect our humanity and protect our humanity what other human beings will do to protect and protect theirs. And I'll clarify what I mean. There is not a white person in America that would sit idle by and let someone come to him. But we have been sitting around here letting others do to us. And that white person will be passive, peaceful, and non-bound. Today, that the black man in this future show other human beings that we are just as human as they in our a to injustice. And we are willing to die just as quickly to protect our lives and our property as you have shown quickness to die to protect your life and your property. Only men, and only men, For our people be recognized and respected as human beings, because it is human absolutely subhuman for a man to let a dog bind him and he not fight back. Or let someone club him and he not fight back. Or let someone put war hoses on his women, his mother, and his daughter, and his baby, and he not fight back. He's subhuman. The day he becomes a human being, we will react as other human beings react. And nobody in humanity will hold it again. So I tell you my conclusion that in 1959, at the same time that we were faced with this problem, wherein the government had to come up with a lot of tokenism and different maneuvers, smiles, and promises to try and hold the, uh, what they call, what they call the Negro Revolt in check. At the same time in 1959, the colonialism that was practiced by the European powers was collapsing in the African country. Our struggle and our initiative and our militancy was in tune with the struggle and the initiative and the militancy that was being reflected by our brothers on the African country. When the colonial powers saw that they couldn't play in Africa anymore, it was like somebody that's playing, uh, basketball. When you just boxed in, you have to pass the ball to a teammate who's in the cliff. The colonial powers were boxing on the African continent. They didn't intend to give up the ball. They just passed it to the one that was in the place. And the one that was in the play was in the clear. And the ball was passed away. And she picked up that ball and been running it like man. the seen. See, her presence on the African continent has replaced the imperialism and colonialism of Europeans, but it's still imperialism and it's still colonialism. And they have pulled millions of the Africans into thinking. That they weren't an imperialistic power or colonial power or had these intentions until their hand was revealed when they took and hired this poor family and put him back in the Congo nothing that America could ever have done could have awakened the Africans to the true intentions as they're dealing with this murderer of Ming The They knew that Africa in 59 was waking up, that it was developing a higher degree of intelligence who would reflect it in the past, so they knew they had to use a more intelligent approach. They used a the friendly approach the peace Corps, and the crossroads, and, uh, other kind of government philanthropic acts of humanitarianism. Actually they disguised their imperialism and, and, and colonialism with dollarism. They changed it. They were not understanding what they were doing. They were uh that doesn't mean that those in the peace Corps not but those that were using it were using it for political purposes more than, more so than for moral purposes. I met you white for workers on the African continent while I was there. Many of them were properly motivated and were making a great contribution. But the, the idea itself, because if it were properly motivated by the government that's behind it, then they would have been just as interested in people over here with black skin as they are the people over there with black skin. Peace Corps will never work over there until they work for over here. So in my conclusion, I just point these things out that in 1964, on this side of the water, they came up with more tricks. They come up with a thing that they call the Civil Rights Bill. Supposedly, a thing that they call the Civil Rights Bill. Supposedly, the time of chance, three of the civil rights workers were murdered. Nothing has been done about it. And I say, nothing has been done about it, and nothing will be done about it until the people then tell to do something about it. I, for one, think that the best way to stop the Ku Klux Klan is to talk to the Ku Klux Klan in the only language that it understands. You can't talk French to someone who speaks German and communicates. You have to find out what language the person speaks. And when you know their language and speak their language in your community. you get your point across. And these racists only know one language and it is doing the great man in this country an injustice to expect him to talk the language of peace to people who don't know the peaceful language. No! Our people, must, in order to get any kind of point across, speak to those people there in the only language that they understand. And we're getting into an era, an area right now, where the black man in this country is capable and qualified to learn how to speak whatever language the races speak. The government can't protect it. The government has not protected it. And it's time for us to do whatever is necessary, by any means necessary, to protect ourselves. And if this government doesn't want us, Running around here wild and acting like that, then I said, let the government get up off of it, whatever it's on and take care of the son. <laughs> After the passage of the Civil Rights Bill, they killed a Negro educator in, in Georgia. The killers of this Negro educator were brought into the court and set free. This is a pattern in this country. And I, and I think that the white people, actually, and I'm not Standing here to condemn all white right people. I use the word white right people because it's cut short, cut right to the point. White right people are actually doing our people an injustice. If you even think that we should sit around and slowly wait for the long wheels of legislative process and emancipation proclamation and Supreme Court to come down with decisions where our rights and our lives and our property are concerned. You are doing us an injustice if you expect us to do this when you wouldn't do it yourself. If someone come knocking on your door with a rifle, you'd walk out of your door with a rifle. And the black man in this country is getting ready to do the same thing. I say in my conclusion that our problem will cease to be a Negro problem. It has ceased to be an American problem. It has now become a world problem. A problem for humanity. It's a human problem. And as long as we waste our time in this country confining our struggle to one which we labeled as a civil rights struggle, it's domestic, It's held within the jurisdiction of the United States. No outside allies can help us in any way without violating U.S. protocol. But today, the black man in America has assumed this, and our struggle is now being lifted from the level of civil rights to the level of human rights. We have a project by which, at the human rights level, our struggle can be brought into the United Nations, and the United States government can be condemned in legal language, of being
1: in the same category as South Africa
0: and Portugal and these other racist empires, The organization of afro american Music in mind was trying to get our problem before the United Nations at the international level, also has, uh, as we look at the local project at the local level or internal level, uh, a program wherein we will work with all the existing civil rights organizations since they've been talking about minimizing now their demonstrations and other things and becoming involved in political action. We want to see what they mean. We will be coming very soon to make certain that black people in this country are given maximum opportunity to become registered, but we also believe that along with that voter registration should go from voter education that our people should be educated in the science of politics so that the crooked politicians can exploit us after we put ourselves in a position to become active politically. But we believe that in every area of this country where workers such as those three who were trying to get black people registered in Mississippi We're the area of this country where young students go out to get on the battlefront. And that's what it actually is, it's a battlefront. We're the area where they go out to get on that battlefront. We feel, in the organization of Afro-American unity, that they should be provided with units, self-defense units, brothers who know how to defend them. We don't believe that we should let civil rights workers be murdered in governments that can't protect civil rights workers. We believe that if the government can do it, then we should do it. And even in the Christian Bible, it says, lead, he that kills with the sword, should be killed and killed by the sword. And I'm not against it. I'm so but I believe that any man who's facing death should be able to go to any extent to see that who's trying to kill him doesn't have a chance to do it. We support every civil rights group plan for political action, as long as it doesn't compromise, but we don't believe that we should be the victims any longer. He believed that we should let the world know the bloodshed, he should let the people of Klan know the bloodshed is a two-way street, that dying is a two-way street, that killing is it. a two-way street. I said, we must speak the language as I know how, But there was another man back in history, an old friend of mine that I read about once, named Hamlet, He was confirmed in the that the first thing that our people are confirmed with the man. And he was contemplating what to do, in the words, to be or not to be. That was the question. He was trying to figure out whether it was nobler in the mind of man to suffer, you know, peacefully, the swings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Or whether it was nobler to take up arms. And by opposing, end them. Now, I think that his little soliloquy answered itself. As long as you sit around here suffering swings and arrows, you'll be suffering out since when you sit around here afraid that you some see and now, you'll be suffering the rest of your life. But today, we have come to the conclusion that it is time to take up whatever is necessary, by any means necessary, to bring these sufferings to the heart. Thank you.